I want to bring your attention for a few moments of your time to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter. We have, we have a lot of good things going on. And uh, we're thankful, thankful to God for his grace uh, in spite of our challenges. 2 Peter chapter 2. I want to do some teaching this morning. Last week we had a guest for our VBS kickoff. He was great. Uh, Carlos E. Pay did a great job. I've been talking to him all week. It was great. Uh, but now it's t- I, I want to slow us down to get us to thinking so that we're not raising a generation of people who are tossed to and fro. Amen. We don't want this to be a nursery but a place where people grow and develop. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse number 12, and I'm going to terminate at verse number 16, but we're going to deal with the whole of this chapter. The Bible says, but these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery, And that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. This is a terrible text, isn't it? But it's a wonderful text. But it's frightening, isn't it? Yeah. Some of you are like, what are we getting into today? It's still the word of God. The Bible says, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. You may be seated. I'm going to read another verse, if by chance we have time to get to it. If not, this will be a series. And the other verse is verse 20. And I need everybody to zone in on verse 20. And I need you to listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks through Peter. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world... By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? After they, if after they escape it, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. Meaning if you, after they get away, if they get caught back up and entangled in them, the last state has become worse for them than the first I want to talk about this morning the latter end 
the latter in. The latter in. One of the challenges of being an evangelist and a preacher of the gospel of Christ, especially particularly in this age, this time period, is that this is a time period where uh, religion and church is so commercialized that churches sometimes, I believe, vie to have a worship that makes people feel the best and to give a lesson that makes people feel comfortable. And the people as dumb sheep, no offense, but sheep are dumb in a real sense, meander from place to place looking for the original high that they had when they first picked back up going to church. This is a generation that has flipped how God designed it to be. For it was never designed by God for you to find a church and be at a church and have a worship service that makes you pleased. But from the beginning, worship and even the lesson, what God is saying, has been more about his being pleased with us over our being pleased with him. I'm concerned that we are raising, raising a generation of people, of young people, uh, who uh, gauge church and gauge a message based on whether or not it offends them or whether or not it makes them feel good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In the body of Christ, we are going to have to hold the line and we cannot, like a buffet eater, pick the desserts and pick the things we like and leave the green beans and leave the broccoli and leave the things that are going to be healthy. When we deal with the Word of God, we have to deal with it all and we have to educate it all. So one of the awesome, sometimes burdensome tasks for me is when the spirit is high, the human spirit is high in a worship environment, and I know that the Lord has nudged me and nudged me and pushed me, and sometimes God will make it to where he doesn't inspire anything else I try to move from but what he wants me to talk about. And it's burdensome to come into a highly emotional environment and talk about something that society and even sometimes the church no longer wants to talk about. The burden of the mailman is not that he has to deliver mail, but sometimes some of his favorite neighbors, he has to be the one to deliver mail that may not make them smile. However, if he decides to change it, he gets in trouble with the government. So out of fear of getting in trouble with the government that resides far higher than the White House, I've determined that what God has given me, that's what I will speak. Are you understanding this? <clears throat> that being said, and some of you are bracing yourself, well, is he going to condemn us? Is he, that's, the word, that's the wording of the world. Are you going to say something that bring it down? I've been through a rough week. Here's the problem. 
I think this is the generation that loves embracing faith but doesn't love embracing repentance. And faith and repentance go together and to have one without the other makes the other artificial. If you're an all-faith person, oh, I trust in God, oh, believe God, believe God, but you live your life any kind of way, then it nullifies your faith, and you have faith, but you don't have faith in God. And we live in a society that tries to rob the concept of faith in God, divorce God from it, so you end up with something artificial that looks like the faith of the Word, but really, it's just personal self-confidence decorated in religiosity. And this is why it's important when we go to the word that we inform, that we teach for the word of God is quick and powerful and all scripture has been given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction and in righteousness. But we cannot just be about edifying. We have to equip you because though this is a church, and like I said before, this is not just a cruise ship at times, it's a battleship at times and it's something how you can win at worship and lose at war if you get a diet of only the things that are favorable. We'll end up a worshiping, losing church. Okay? So that's my introduction. We'll go to the lesson. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 2, let me just give you a quick background. Here's the, here's the backdrop to it. Second Peter and, and Peter's second letter, he has some different concerns. And what Peter is concerned about in Second Peter, he's concerned that there are people that have come in that are false teachers. Everybody say false teachers. And for years, in, when it comes to false teachers, we have focused on one aspect of the false teacher. We focus on the aspect of misinformation. Misinformation is when somebody gives you information that is not quite correct. The more vital the, the information, the more dreadful and the more detrimental the misinformation. Are you understanding this? The more vital the information, the more, uh, uh, the more uh, dreadful and the more uh, detrimental the misinformation, okay? If it's vital for you to know that they found something on your lungs, for them to tell you the tests were clear is detrimental. You get it? The more important the information is the more detrimental it is for that to be for you to be misinformed. And so the information that Peter was conveying to the church was based on a concern of his because there were groups of teachers that had come in among them and they were giving mis they were false teachers. We were ready for the misinformation and sometimes pardon us, pardon me, even in my matriculation through ministry, I, I dealt more with tradition than doctrine. And looking back, I've, I see I've wasted a lot of time on things that didn't matter so much so that the devil was sending his imps into the church, attacking the things that matter. Here we are four generations later, and the issues that we fought are commonplace now. No? 
Let me, let me explain it. Thank you. Let me explain it. For years, there was a period of time in the church where we were battling in the name of doctrine something as simple. I'll go way back. It being wrong for women to wear pants. So we'd have arguments about whether women can wear pants forsake the character of the women. Uh, okay, in other words, as long as you don't wear pants, and that became the issue, but not how do you deal with your self-esteem based on the Bible, not how do you carry yourself, not how are you modest, but don't wear pants because that pertains to a man. And we went in and we went hard and we went hard and we used doctrine and we stood on the word when part of it was half the word, half tradition, and it was really not as relevant as we thought it was. Meanwhile, the, meanwhile, the real issues came in and and now we are living in generations who've been affected by things that may have been able to be prevented if we weren't shooting at the wrong enemies. So, yes, we, yes, so false teachers can be false teachers by misinformation, bad doctrine, not tradition, doctrine, right? But there's another aspect of false teachers that we need to be on guard for, and Peter talks about it, okay? Now, when I say false teachers, I want you to immediately get out of your mind simply, you know, preachers. There's a preacher preaching false doctrine or a teacher teaching a Bible class. There's the spirit of the false teacher that can attach itself to anybody sitting here in this audience. And if you think for one minute that Peter's writing to a group of preaching brethren, you are mistaken. He's writing to the church. Which means everybody needs to know certain characteristics because you don't have to be a preacher or a teacher or stand before people to embrace the characteristics of what's called a callous spirit. Everybody say callous spirit. He begins in verse number one. Everybody look at it, look at it. We're going to move quickly. We got readers. Verse number one, 2 Peter chapter one, this is what he does. He does a comparative, makes a comparative statement in the beginning. He says what? But false prophets also arose among Just the people. Just like there were false prophets among the people in Israel, God's people. In other words, there will always be fake folk among real folk. If I could just use the, Amen. There's always, there's always 50% among people being 100. Okay, okay, yeah. When an older, you know, we used to be cool in college. No, you remember that? Okay, anyway, anyway, let's go. What does the Bible say? Just as there will also be false teachers among you. There will also be, in other words, ain't nothing changed. In the Old Testament, they were false prophets. In, the, in this dispensation, there will be false teachers among you. Now watch what he says. Watch the language. Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Number one, the false teacher is stealth. He's very stealthy. He's very covert. This is not the person learning to teach. This is not the person who's a student of the Bible who teaches something that maybe is not right. He is covert. But I'm going to tell you something. It's, he, Peter does not in this chapter deal with any of the doctrines that the false teacher teaches because there are two aspects to being a false teacher that is misinformation 
and misrepresentation. Write that down. There's misinformation and misrepresentation. The teacher becomes false if he doesn't give the right information, but he becomes a false teacher if he misrepresents the person he is teaching about. Okay? Now, all of us misrepresent Jesus at some point, but this is not talking about falling and struggling. This is not struggling. This is strategy because the Bible says they privately bring it in. They, they know better, and they're bringing in something under the veil of secrecy. He never talks about what the teaching is. But he swiftly starts reverting to something. Read the next verse. Watch this. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Okay, even denying. Now, it, I think it's ironic, right? Because this is a person who denied Jesus writing. <laughs> y- y'all, y'all don't, you remember? There was, a, there was this one guy who Jesus said before the rooster crows, You're going to deny me three times. Do you know who that guy was? Peter. So Peter, why are you saying this? Because sometimes when when the Bible convicts us uh, uh, or we, we become guilty of something, and here's where the falsehood, the false teacher is developed. When you put, when you allow the devil to put a gag order on you, to where you don't say anything against anything out of place and displeasing to God if it's something you struggle with. Let me me come closer. There's a gag order the devil uses, meaning if that's your struggle, you don't need to say anything about it. If you've ever failed failed in that way, you don't need to say anything about it. So what happens with the false teacher is because the false teacher is not interested in changing or the spirit of the false teacher is that you're not interested in changing and since you're not interested in changing and, uh, to what God says, you change what God says. Does this make sense to anybody? You're not interested in changing to what God says So you change what God says and you make what God says fit your life. That's backwards. I said that's backwards. We live, and I'm I'm preaching this because we live in a day and time where this nation is almost forcing churches to conform to lifestyles in the name of ministry. I don't care how much we love people, we love you, but we will not love you away from God to where you're comfortable living a lifestyle that's not pleasing to God. When the church starts doing that, we embrace the spirit of the false prophet and we change the Bible to fit people instead of helping people change to fit the Bible. You see that? And where does it start? Before it starts organically, it starts on a cellular level when individuals who do, who have a lifestyle, whatever it is, that do not want to change it, change the word. 
and in a way force God to be okay with what he's not okay with. Y'all all right? Okay, I don't want to get the mad dog syndrome up here. Where's my towel? <laughs> preachers can preach so hard. You preachers remember this when you're preaching. Every now and then, lick your lips every now and then so you won't look like you have rabies. <laughs> Somebody said, wow, you got to be a preacher to understand that. But watch this. Watch this. So he says, the teaching. He, now watch this. He has not yet mentioned what the teaching is. We've, we've been hungry for, for refutation over the years. In other words, we want, we want to learn the argument. Uh, thank you. We want to learn the argument. Okay. okay I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we want to learn the argument. We're just having fun. We're family, right, church? We want to learn the argument so that we can go to war in a very literary sense, okay? We want to learn the argument. Well, let's learn some doctrines so we, I would tell her, because to me, there's nothing worse and there's nothing more funny than somebody who has a raggedy lifestyle talking about an, a doctrinal argument they had with somebody on their job. Here you are high every other day, half drunk every other day, right? Sleeping with everybody you want to sleep with, and have the audacity of saying, well, I was telling them that they should sing without instruments. And I was on the job. We went back and forth. I need the scripture about instruments. You know why you need those scriptures? Because they don't convict you. <laughs> the loss of discernment and doing wrong comes from the loss of shame. When Adam and Eve messed up, God put something in us as humanity, an internal alarm system. It's an internal alarm system to where without anybody over our back, something in us pulls us back. That feeling that you get when you're doing something you're not supposed to do, God put that there. It's called a conscience. <laughs> Are you understanding this? Uh, um, there were times I, mama hit me and wasn't even there to hit me. I mean, I still get whippings from my parents, and I'm grown now, but they're not physical. You know, you, you, that thing that says, this is, mm, no, this, mm, right? Even when you decide, you and I decide to do wrong. You know, back at Southwestern, uh, as college students, uh, you know, we were all college students together. And, uh, and they used to party, go to parties. <laughs> you know, you, you know how you, how, you, how, you, how you go at somewhere you shouldn't be going, right? You know, the lights just strobing and this darkness with just glitches and flashes of light. <laughs> See, y'all want y'all want a fake preacher. Sorry, I'm flawed, but I'm faithful. <laughs> Sorry, go find another preacher that that's 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 close to being like Jesus. Then, good luck. 
but, 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 you have these experiences, and sometimes you hit a bottom like, we shouldn't have. Oh, oh man, I, I shouldn't have. The spirit of the false prophet is one that loses discernment and shame to where that thing that goes off stops working. There's no remorse. And because there's no remorse, the things that would be done in the secrecy of darkness, because shame keeps us in the secrecy of darkness, because they don't have shame, the things that most people who have shame and guilt and discernment do under the veil of darkness, like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go do this, uh, I know it's not right, Lord, forgive me. Because they don't have that mechanism, they do it in broad daylight. Does that make sense? That means they do it in broad daylight. So they end up being spots in your fellowship, okay? Come on up here, bro, bro, uh, brother. You too, Chris. I'm going to use you too. So let's just say you have three people who have the same struggle. The spirit of the false prophet, he loses discernment. We could have all done the same wrong, right? But because there's no internal shame or discernment, three friends lose commonality because what you're now saying I feel bad about, I'm saying, man, you feel bad about that? I'm going tonight, I'm going tomorrow night, I'm doing it the next night. Shoot, I'm, I, I ain't finished. Come on, you, you know, you're not going to be real up in here. All of us have experienced that one person that takes it way too far. They lose their brakes. Their brake system is no longer working. I mean, yeah, you drank. Yeah, you smoked. Yeah, you got high. But this person said, man, I want to take it up a notch. Then, watch this, because they lost discernment and they lost shame, they openly talk about with you what you are trying to keep on the low. Yeah, we were out the other night. We did this, that, and the other. We always. Did you say Cheryl did? Sit down, man. Oh, that was Chris. Sit down, Chris. Yeah, Chris was at the club, too. He was the bouncer. Are y'all seeing this? And I'm trying to make it real tangible. There's always the person who lost that thing that stops them, the boundary. Yeah, we all sin. I'm, I'm not here to cast anybody in hell, but I'm trying to show us the spirit of the false teacher because the spirit of the, of the false teacher grows from the soils of the false doer. So they lose discernment the person who would rather be bold than be right. And they do things in broad daylight because they are no longer attached to guilt and no longer attached to shame. Uh, let, me, let me help us with 
let me help us a little more. Uh, uh, that mechanism kicks in with us on the news or when we hear about other people's business. Have you ever watched something and, or heard something and said, oh, that's terrible? But it was something you did before? Let me let that. But the person that you're hearing about is just doing it openly? No? Okay, let me bring it in. If I openly and publicly around this place cuss my wife out for everybody to hear, every cussing Christian in here would think that's a shame. If y'all don't say amen in here, I'm going to pull an amen out of you. Am I right about it? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you hear? But, but yet you just do yours in the car. And what you, watch this, what, what you're embarrassed about is not the what, but the lack of discernment and the lack of shamefacedness and the spirit of the false teacher is not attached to shame, so openly does what other people secretly struggle with. Watch the text. Watch the text. We're going to have to stop soon. So we have that loss of discernment, loss of shame. But let's keep reading. They are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Heaven okay, eyes. Peter's not talking about the struggling saint. He's not talking about struggling. All of us struggle. Say amen if you struggle with something. Amen. But there gets to a point where there's a fine line between struggling with something and strategizing in it. And the line is so fine that you, if you're not careful, you will cross the line and somebody else will have to notice it for you. Okay? And I'm going to tell you what makes this generation so high risk for it. You know why, what makes this generation high risk? Exposure. We are highly exposed to things. Okay? There was a time, there was a time if you wanted to do certain things, you had to literally Leave your house. Use your gas and get in some trouble. But because of modern day technology, you can get in trouble in the comfort of your own home. You can become an addict right at your computer screen. And the devil made it to where the stuff you have to, the trouble you had to pay for to get in, is free today. Okay. <laughs> Some of y'all are curling in your seat. Stop it. Talk about faith. I got to preach the whole counsel of God. I told you I prayed over it. Let's look at verse number 14. 
Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Having eyes full of adultery. Now, this doesn't say committing adultery. You notice that? It didn't say the actual act. Because you can, those who pat themselves on the back, well, I never stepped, I never did this, that, and the other. You know what Jesus says? If you look Mm. with lust, you've done it. The, The spirit of the false teacher sees everything with predatory eyes. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Everything is objectivized and objectified. Everyone, these eyes full of adultery, meaning I don't see personality. I don't see virtue. I see lips. Hips, fingertips, <laughs> curves. Now, now here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. People don't get better because they're not real. And the church is one of the most, can be one of the most superficial places yeah, where people true. come to look like the way they really want to be. But, but let, if it's any comfort, brethren, the spirit of the false prophet, Job had to fight that spirit. Job, yes, Job 31 and 1. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then shall I look upon a maiden? Job fought that. But the spirit of the false teacher, watch this, because he's detached from shame, he doesn't look. And he doesn't have eyes of struggle. He has eyes of predatory, of a predatory nature. Y'all got real quiet up in here. That's all right. That means keep going. Okay? Men, let's get, let's get real. You see a pretty lady? Yeah, now, now the men about to give. Boy, you can hear a rat run across the carpet with house shoes on. She looked good. And I'm going to tell you why it's more relevant now. Because we live in such an overly sexualized society. You got Cardi B, the lyrics to her song tells you what. Women are more aggressive now and they're coming out, going to war with men's eyes. So you have to make sure that you monitor yourself and monitor your heart because if you don't monitor your heart, your eyes will do their own thing. I didn't come to church for this. It's right here in the Bible. That's what I meant when I did the introduction. People, churches are not talking about this anymore. And you have generations on their way to hell and struggling with things you don't have to struggle with if we just can get back to what God says and get the spirit of the false prophet out. The spirit of the false prophet is also the spirit of omission. Did you hear me? The spirit of the false prophet is the spirit of omission, meaning leaving out what you need to know. I'll just say the things that 
that make you feel good, but I'll leave out what you need to know. I'll say you can eat this, but I'll leave out the fact that 2% of it is poison. Mm. Having eyes full of adultery, and then it says cannot cease from sin, it means that their sin appetite is never satisfied. That means you can't get enough. I need somebody in here to go deeper and listen to the voices in society, the voices of music. Because you know that Ephesians 2 calls Satan the God, the prince of the power of the, the air. That means Satan is the God of this world. Come on. Don't stop till you what? Don't stop till you get enough. Oh, that's nothing but a song. These are voices. And we hear them over and over and over and over. And we are missing the fact that these voices are desensitizing our hearts. If you want to see how it looks in the spiritual, let me share this with you. When I was on dialysis, you know, they give you, they do the needle thing. I talked to Sister Shirley, you get ready for it. You know, the needle, you get these two long needles. They're about this long. So take care of your kidneys, people. But they stick you three times a week. At first, oh, I mean, I almost passed out. Oh, look, ah, I just almost passed out. Am I bleeding? Am I bleeding? But after a while, you don't feel it anymore. God made our bodies with something called nerves. And I'm going to tell you what those nerves are. They're the alarm system of the body. They let you know when you're incurring damage. Are you understanding this? They, they let you know, uh-uh, something has been damaged. Right? You get bit by an ant. Something so small. God designed our bodies to have these nerves that send signals that says something happened at your ankle. If the nerves stop working, you will incur damage and won't even know it. That's why when you get dental work done and they numb you, they say don't eat anything. Do you know why? Not because you can't taste it, but because you can't feel anything and you're liable to eat your lip with the hamburger because you won't even feel it. The spiritual realm works the same way. Shame and guilt and sensitivity to God is the nervous system. Now watch this. The spirit of the false prophet has killed the nervous system of his spirit so that he can take damage and won't even know he's being damaged. And when you get to this point, things are happening in your life. You'll make decisions that are damaging you, but because you've lost all spiritual sensitivity, you don't even realize how much damage you're taking and you'll look up and be spiritually critical. 
and won't know how you get that way. Because you lost sensitivity. You do it over and over. Your conscience, the nerve of your spirit works at first. You feel it. You feel guilty. You feel guilty. You feel guilty. You feel bad. You feel guilty. You feel bad. I shouldn't have done it. I feel bad. I feel guilty. I feel bad. I feel guilty. I feel all right. I feel guilty. I feel okay. I feel guilty. I feel all right. I feel guilty. I feel all right. Well, I feel like everybody does it. I feel all right. I feel like everybody does it. I feel all right. I feel like everybody does it. I feel like, uh, all right, I feel like, oh, that was good, but everybody does it. That was good, but everybody does it. And just without notice, you don't feel it. And when you stop feeling it, you do the next thing. And I'm going to stop here at this next verse. Read the next verse. Enticing unstable souls, having a hard train in greed, accursed children. Read. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having fallen the okay. way of Balaam. Forsaking the right way. And I, I think, brother, I think you missed the verse, the critical verse. It says they cannot cease from sin. Uh, enticing, this is what I want. Enticing unstable enticing souls. souls. That's what I'm wanting. Oh. Okay. This is... Now, why is Peter saying this? He's saying this so that the church can identify the spirit of the false prophet. Instability is equivalent to spiritual vulnerability. The spirit of the false prophet entices those who are vulnerable. Church, you can't share your weaknesses with everybody. Are you hearing me? Stop blabbing about your weaknesses to everybody. Everybody's not listening with ears that will compel them to pray for you and to pray with you and to pray uh, against that thing. There are people that will listen, that will see your instability, your vulnerability as an opportunity and entice you to the point to where they are now enabling you in what you struggled with. You know why some of these support groups are closed? For several reasons. One, of course, confidentiality and privacy, right? Two, because if the wrong ears hear the confession of an alcoholic or a sexaholic, then they'll take them into relapse. And church, everybody got something that God pulled you out of that you can easily relapse into. Don't stop think, don't think of anybody else's. Stop that. Stop thinking about everybody else. Think about that thing that it took years of crying and praying and getting in trouble and getting hurt and you've got the scars emotionally and the scars even physically to show that this was my struggle. This is where I struggled and I strained but bless God, he dragged me out of this. This is why you have to protect your deliverance. Because all it takes 
is the right, wrong somebody to give you a taste for what you used to be addicted to and have now lost the taste for. And before you know it, you are relapsing in the name of making a new friend. Enticing, unstable souls. It's funny because Paul talks to Timothy about in 1 Timothy 3, perilous times shall come. He gets down off in somewhere and talk about how men be lovers of themselves. And then he talks about captive silly women taken away and burdened with what? Sins. Captive silly women, what is that? Paul is not discriminating. Paul is reverting to how it happened in the beginning. The serpent didn't start with Adam. He started with the most vulnerable. Churches are saturated with the most vulnerable in creation. And quite naturally, if churches are places that are saturated with the most vulnerable sex, churches are the places that would attract the most predators. (laughs) I mean, my goodness, if there is a wolf, he's not going to go to a hyena gathering. He's going to go to a sheep gathering. Now, I'm not demonizing men, and I'm not saying men to women. Don't don't miss me. What I'm saying is that there's a spirit of falsehood, and Peter targets teachers and preachers first. I I thank God. I thank God for, for people who pray for the preachers and the leaders. Pray for the leaders and pray for the preachers and teachers. Because if you think for a moment that this thing doesn't come with its vices, you are mistaken. And it's not about committing a sin. It's about adopting an ideology. And if you're not careful, you will adopt it. You will adopt it. and, And guess what? The Bible says what happens is you would have escaped But if the devil can ever get you back and overcome you, the latter end will be worse than the first. It's like getting out of a bad relationship with somebody. Whether it's a man man to a woman or a woman to a man, a bad relationship, it was terrible, it was abuse, there was all kinds of things that brought you to tears, there was misuse of money, it was just terrible, just had you sad all the time, and then then you finally, God delivered you from that relationship, and you're free now, and you're healing, and you're being restored, uh, and and everything is going well, and just at the right time, uh, just at the wrong right time, uh, she comes back, or he comes back and he says give me one more chance but you notice in your heart of hearts that no change has been made sometimes if you get got the second time 
is worse than the first. So what do you do, Brother Preacher? i got to stop. I'm going to stop here. We didn't even get to Balaam, which means this is a series that will continue in two weeks. Uh, I didn't, can I be honest? I didn't want to preach this. <laughs> I really didn't. I wanted to preach Matthew 9. But God, he gave no other inspiration. If I'd have preached Matthew 9 today, y'all walked up, walk, got up and walked out before you usually do. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe. So please don't be don't shoot the mailman. I was talking to Bishop Gay and we were talking about how. We're having to go back and preach some of the stuff we preached years ago because sometimes what happens is you forget that it's not even the same generation, neither the same time. And you think because you preached the sermon 20 years ago, you don't ever need to go back. If that's the case, if you read the Bible in a year, you're done reading it forever. No, you know what? Things happen. And some of us, there's some people that weren't scheduled to hear it back then. They were scheduled to hear it now. And somebody hears it now. So, uh, so here, here's what you do. What do you do, preacher? How do you prevent it? The Bible says, first of all, if you're unsaved, the Bible says that Jesus gives an invitation for salvation. Look, he did the work already. If you're unsafe, he did the work already. You didn't have to die on the cross. You didn't have to be tried. You, don't, you didn't have to wear a crown of thorns. That was God sending Jesus to take your place. He took everything disgust. God took everything disgusting to him about you and put it on him and killed it when he hung on the cross. And now he wants to take everything beautiful about him and put it on you. But it's your move. It's your move. It's your move. What do you do? Do I just sit here and just have faith? That's the problem. This society today wants faith without obedience. Faith without repentance. And I'm sorry, we got to preach it because I believe that even in your personal life, there are some blessings that are waiting for you that God will not even release into your life, not because you don't have faith, but because you won't repent. Are you understanding what I'm saying? There are certain things, like, okay, every now and then I'll tell baby girl, because the other two girls are not as prone to do it. Well, the middle baby might do it. I'll say, I'll say listen, uh, can you go and get me, get me, a, get this shirt for me? Now, in my mind, I know I'm going to hit him with a boom, some, you know, I'm going to hit him with a one dollar bill. <laughs> no, just kidding. Might hit him with a five, you know. Now, guess what? I don't tell them that all the time. So if they decide to meander around and be distracted and not do it, guess what? Even though they trust me as their daddy, the release of that blessing will not come 
until they change their heart and go do what I asked them. Why are you laughing like that, Carol? That used to be, she, she don't get the money anymore. I give it to the girl. Anyway, and God is saying, there's so many more, there's so much more waiting for you. There's so much I have for you. Your issue is not that you don't believe me. You just don't believe me enough to change. You want to stay the same. So this is a, apparently, this word is for a come to Jesus. This is a come to Jesus. That's what this is. I get it, Lord. This is a come to Jesus moment. And he's so willing to forgive you. He's waiting to forgive you. But he's not going to forgive you if you're not repentant. What is repentance, brother preacher? It means to change your mind. And if you need to come to Jesus, you need to come believing that what he did on the cross is enough to save you. That he took your place. He died. That was for me, Lord. You did it for me. And I'm a mess, but you did it for me. You did it for me. You made a way. You moved mountains. You caused waterfalls. That's a beautiful song. But the first mountain he moved was Mount Calvary. That's the first mountain he moved. And he moved Mount Calvary to represent something other than death, but to represent life for those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Are you willing to change your mind and turn toward God? Are you willing to confess with your lips and your life that he is the Son of God? You can come and give your life to Jesus right now. Everybody stand to your feet. We're not going to sing yet. But if you listen to this message, and this is a come to Jesus moment for all of us, and I'll be the first one to say, I'm, I, I'm the first one to say, there's some things I need to change in my life. There's some things I'm repenting of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that spirit tries to connect and bind with our spirit. Maybe you're here and you need to come back home. God is saying, you heard the Lord speak today. And in your heart, you know God was talking to you. I don't know your business. I don't, I, 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 I've got too much on my plate to know everybody's business. That's why I don't understand busybodies because there's too many, there's too much to do. Uh, there's literally too, too much life to live. And you live your life digging in everybody's business. But this is an appeal. This is what God is putting forth. He's saying you can sing. You can lift your hands. You can like coming to church. But it's as if God is standing up here and he's saying, I'm waiting for you to change. You sound good, but I'm waiting for you to change. And you look good, but I'm waiting for you to change. And that thing you've been praying about, 
I have it for you, but not the way you are. I need you to feel me when I'm talking to you again. I need you to feel something when my spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, "Uh uh-uh. I need you to come back. And that's what God is calling for. He loves us so much that hell wasn't even made for us. He didn't make hell for us. And going through it was never made for us to do by ourselves. So here it is. Will you come? If you need to come, walk down right now. There are some, there are people who have come. Come on down. This is a come to Jesus moment. This is not, you know, don't worry about who's looking. Don't worry about, oh, what, you know, some of us are so worried about so many other people. And they don't think about you past that moment. You really think when people eat at first this afternoon, they're going to talk about you? I'm going to ask Jack if you would come and do the prayer for us in just a moment. Jack Evans, Brother Evans. Um, it's praying time. Pray for me, man. So whoever needs to come, now is the invitation.